Well, today we're wrapping up uh, the series inside of the bigger series of the Gospel Mark called The Return of the King. And if you were with us last week, we started off by literally going through the whole 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. The whole dang thing. We read the whole thing last week. You know, all 30-some verses of the Gospel of Mark. And in that Gospel of Mark, we started thinking about and looking at how Jesus was talking about two different things here. He was prophesying and predicting two different events. Number one was the destruction of the temple. And his, uh, the disciples that came up and they said, Hey, Jesus, look how beautiful the temple is. He's like, Yeah, check this out. It is so pretty, but guess what? One day it's going to be destroyed. And this is what's going to happen that you're going to kind of see signs of what's going to happen when it gets destroyed. And 37 years after Jesus said this, the temple was leveled, it was destroyed, and everything Jesus said came true. The second thing that Jesus was talking about was the second coming of himself, the return of the king. And within that prediction of Jesus, we discovered that there are a couple of truths that we can look at. Some things that are just that we can know without a shadow of a doubt are going to happen within this, this scripture. Number one that we learned last week was that no one knows when Jesus is coming. I don't care who the preacher is. I don't care who the pastor is. I don't care how big of a church he has. I don't care how good of a TV show he has. I don't care how bad he's dressed or whatever. He does not know when Jesus is going to come. No one knows that. In fact, we learned that not, not even the Son of God knows. Not even Jesus knew that. They were like, hey, Jesus, when are you coming back? He's like, I don't know. I don't know when I'm coming back. That, not even, that God even hid that from his son for, for a time being. And so we learn that no one knows when Jesus is coming back. The other thing we learn is that he is coming back. That beyond a shadow of a doubt, he will return one day. Overall, Scripture talks about this, and they hinted to the point that Christ will return one day about, you know, coming back. Jesus spoke about it. Paul spoke about it. Peter spoke about it. He's coming back one day. And the fact of the matter is, believe it or not, uh, we have to be ready for that day. And then the third thing we learned is that we must live in the reality that he is coming back. That we have to live with the mindset that, that he is coming back one day. That we cannot simply just ignore it and live our lives however we want. That we have to have it in the forefront of our mind that Jesus is coming back. Now, that was last week. This week, I want to cover a huge problem that I see with many of us in the church today. When I say us, I mean just the church itself. And is that is this, that as believers, we should be excited about and look forward to the moment that Christ returns back here. That as a church, we must be excited about and looking forward to the day that Jesus will return. We should be comforted in our trials by the fact that he is going to return. And we must also be prepared and be ready for the fact that one day Jesus is going to be coming back. Jesus' second coming is supposed to be a very present reality in our lives. It should always be there. We should understand it, believe it, and walk in it every day. However, for most of us believers here, and even just throughout the church in general, especially the younger believers, the younger generation, which includes myself, is this, is that his second coming is not a very present reality in our lives. And when we think about our walk with Jesus, we don't think about the fact that he's coming back. We simply think about the here and now. 
And let me say that again. The problem is that with the second coming of Jesus, it's, it's just not a present reality. Many of us never uh, live like it is. Many of us never think about it. Many of us might even, we probably don't even fully believe that he's coming back. And that's a problem. But just think about it. When was the last time that you sat down and you thought about the return of Christ? In your prayer time, in your alone time, your devotional time, when was the last time you sat down and you just had just marveled in the fact that Jesus was going to be coming back one day? You probably haven't done that. I know I haven't done it in a while. But when was the last time you actually got excited about that fact? Hey, Jesus is coming back one day. He's coming back for us, and one day we won't even have to be here anymore. I'm excited about that day. We don't do that. As believers, we, we, we don't think that way. So most of us don't look forward to it. You see, so many generations behind us have, though. For years and years, that was the whole mission of the church, was to prepare people for the day that Christ was going to, he was going to return. Now, why does our generation not spend a ton of time thinking about the doctrine and preparing for his return? This younger generation, my generation, why do we not spend enough time thinking about that? Well, I believe it's because of this. And I've learned that our generation has three mindsets, three um, heart postures, so to speak, about this doctrine. There's three responses to it. When we hear someone says that Christ is returning, we can respond in one of three ways. And these are it. We can respond in skepticism, apathy, and we can simply just not be ready for it. That's what I want to look at today. I want to cover them real quickly. I know it's hot. I'm sweating up here. Uh, it's about to get, like, all crazy up here. And so um, I'm not going to go magic mic on you, but if I start unbuttoning my shirt, I'm telling you, it gets deadly hot up here. Okay, so we're going to just kind of get through this real quickly, okay? Um, each one of us needs to understand this and understand where we fall in this, okay? Now, we're going to be all over the Bible today, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 24, and we'll start working our way there. We, if you don't have a Bible, we have them on the edge of, this, of, this, of the rows. You can pick one up there as well. All right, so first, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes today, the first response we can have to when someone says Jesus is returned, the first response we have is skepticism. They could be real skeptical about this. This is the mindset and the hot posture of disbelief. That we simply are people who simply do not believe fully that Jesus is going to return. It sounds ridiculous to us. It's outrageous to us. And we simply don't believe it. You might believe in Jesus. You might believe that in all things and all the things that he's done. You might believe in, and really think that he is a great guy, okay? And you might believe in the, the fact that he will bless you and be there for you. You might believe in all the good things about Jesus. But when it comes to understanding his return, you simply just don't believe it. And there's going to become a day when the angels are going to shout and those trumpets are going to be blown and God will bust through the clouds gathering Christians and together and taking them from, back, uh, from earth back into heaven. And when you hear this truth, you will think that it just sounds ridiculous. Like it sounds like some type of science fiction novel. It's too supernatural for us to kind of fully believe because we're people who are uh, realists and we try to make things just if it makes sense I believe it if it doesn't make sense I don't believe it and listen I get that if that is you here today I totally understand that because I was like that when I first started coming to church and, and trying to read the Bible but consider this for thousands of years before Jesus even showed up the first time on the scene men of God were writing and predicting of his arrival 
For thousands of years before Jesus even came to earth as a baby born in a manger, men over thousands of years were, were predicting this. They were looking at this. They were thinking about the second coming, or this first coming of Christ. And in the Old Testament, there's 44 separate prophecies by all different authors spanning over thousands of years, all predicting the exact same thing. They predicted that he was going to be born of a virgin. This is getting real specific here. I mean, who would have thought that? That 44 different authors said this one baby, this Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Who goes to Bethlehem? No one goes there. He was going to be raised in Nazareth. The backwoods, redneck town, Nazareth. Who was going to predict that? No one could have even seen that coming. Yet 44 different men did. He was going to be rejected by the Israelites and killed. And through his suffering, he was going to destroy evil. And he was going to atone for the sins of all of mankind. And then make us reconcile back to God. Over thousands of years, through the hands of different men and, and different prophecies, it was written down, passed down, and proclaimed. And even though all of that was done, people still did not believe that he was coming. They weren't ready for him. Generation after generation, people lived and died waiting for this guy to show up, and he never did. They heard of the prophecies, but they just didn't believe it. It sounded crazy to them. I mean, seriously, think about this. There's a guy telling you that there's going to be a Messiah, a Savior to come, born of a virgin. Now, I don't know if you know what it takes to make a baby, but babies don't come from virgins. You should have laughed at that, people. That was okay. You can laugh in this church and something like that. He was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to come from Nazareth. Like I said, the, the redneck hillbilly town of Nazareth. No one comes from Nazareth who is of any power or any, any type of authority. He was going to conquer evil through his suffering. How do you conquer evil by your suffering? No, the way you conquer evil is by victory. And that's the mindset. But whenever they said that this guy was going to conquer evil through suffering, it just sounded completely nuts. But one day it happened. It came true. Jesus showed up on the scene, and he lived a life that fulfilled every single prophecy of the Old Testament about him. Every single prophecy that was predicted about Jesus, he fulfilled within the 33 years of life that he, that he had here on earth. You see, church, it's through this, this, through this person of Jesus that we can see God is a God who keeps his promises. So why would we be skeptical when he said that he's coming again? When God says, he's coming again. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Why would you doubt that? Because you know what? He did it the first time. God said, my son is coming. I'm sending a Messiah. And guess what? You better be ready for it. And there was thousands of people who were not ready for it the first time. And there's going to be millions more who are not ready for it the second time. Jesus made the promise to us that he was going to come back because he came back already once before. Jesus' response to your skepticism is simply this, that God is faithful. He's proven. He's done it before, and he's going to do it again. The second response that many of us may have to the return of Jesus is this, is this mindset of apathy. We're just kind of apathetic to the fact that Jesus might be coming back. That is this, is that you, it's not that you don't believe in the return of Christ. No, you believe it. You, you think it's going to happen with all your heart. You just don't think about it that often. And that's your response. This is the one that I think most of us can fall into. You think, oh, well, uh, he said he was coming back one day. That's what the scripture says. That's great. But it's been seven, 
several thousand of years and he has not returned yet, the odds of him returning back in my lifetime are probably not going to happen. Because they didn't return in my father's lifetime or my grandfather's lifetime. He didn't return into their lifetimes. Why would he return in my lifetime? And you know what? To sit here and tell you that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime, I can't tell you that. I don't know if he is or not. He might, but he might not. So it seems a little weird for us to spend a lot of time and energy preparing for something that probably might not happen. But what's interesting is that Jesus specifically addresses this mindset. He said, look, there is, if that is where you are, then check this out. He, he, he gives us an example in Matthew 24, verse 37. He goes all the way back to the days of Noah to explain this to us. So Matthew 24, verse 37. And Jesus said this, he says, For as there were days of Noah, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken to the left. Two uh, women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. Jesus says, stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Be prepared. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if your master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and you would have, have left his house in, in, to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, and in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and the wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give him their food in their proper time? Blessed is the servant, listen to this, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So here's Jesus' point. He says, we are to live our lives though and through and as he is coming back at any point, and we should always be ready for him. That he is coming back at any point in time. We don't know when he's coming back, but when he does, we have got to be ready for that. And as believers, we know our master is coming back at some point. And because we are his servants and he is our master, we are to live in such a way that when he does come back in our lifetime, he will come back. And as a master finds his servant being prepared and ready, he will find us being prepared and ready for him to return. See, the people that were around when Noah was around weren't expecting the flood to happen. But guess what? The flood came. It came. And they weren't ready for it. But Jesus' response is not to be apathetic to this point. Jesus, his response is for us not to be apathetic as they were. He wants us to be ready. He says, you know I'm coming back. I've already said it. I've proved it before. Be ready for it. So the first reaction is skepticism. The second reaction is uh, the response of apathy. That means that, that, that we believe he's coming, but we're just not really prepared for it. The third response is a really dangerous one. The third response is simply this. Your response to the return of Jesus Christ is that you're simply just not ready for it. You're not ready for it. This is the very common doctrine of Christ. And this is a very common response to the doctrine. 
you know that, that we're a church. There's a lot of younger people in this church. I mean, when I say younger, we don't have very many people over the age of 50 in here. And 50 really isn't that old anyway. And so within the younger church, we, we're just simply not ready. To be honest, it seems like this is the hang-up for many of us in the church today. That we're a church that just gets hung up on this one fact. That Jesus is coming back and we're just not ready for it yet. You believe Jesus is going to return. You believe that he's coming back. But if you're dead honest with yourself and with everyone here today, you're not quite ready for him to come back yet. You believe in the Jesus and you believe in the gospel and you you definitely want to go to heaven one day, but you just don't want to go to heaven right now. Let me say that again. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the gospel. You believe that one day you want to go to heaven, but you're not ready to go to heaven right now. Let me ask you this. If Jesus was to return today, how many of you guys would have regrets about what you did not do? I totally get that. Let me ask yourself this. Is this, is this, is this where you, you're at in life? You love Jesus. You say you love Jesus. You buy all the Chris Tomlin albums. You go to Spirit Fest. You do all the great things like that. You go to church every Sunday. But if he was to return today, would you regret the things you did not do? Would you long for the fact that, that you weren't ready for him to return yet? There are a lot of us here who are excited about Jesus to come back, but there are things that we want to experience first. We want to go to college. Many of us want to go to college. Many of us want to get married. We want to have a career. We want to make lots of money. We want to have that, that, that relationship with a spouse. We want to have that unity with someone. We want to have children. We want to have lots of kids and, and raise them up and see them have grandbabies. Many of us want to see our kids have you know, their children and be grandparents in the, you know, inside the family. We want to travel the world. Many of us want to say, like, you know, I, 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 want to just, I want to go around. I want to look at travel places. I want to take that awesome vacation. I want to enjoy my retirement. I've worked for 50-some years Jesus, please don't come back tomorrow because I haven't retired yet. And we want that. And some of us want these things. And these are so many things that we want before Jesus returns. And listen, if that is where you're at, it's probably one of two reasons. Number one is that you probably just haven't suffered enough yet. You haven't suffered enough yet. There was nothing like suffering in this life to reveal the brokenness and emptiness of this world, to make you long for heaven more. There was nothing, let me repeat it, there was nothing like suffering in this life to make you want heaven more. If you are not ready for heaven, if you don't long for heaven, if you don't dream of what, how incredible it's going to be one day with Jesus, you simply don't suffer. You're comfortable. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says this in 2 Corinthians. This is, this is the guy who knew what suffering was all about. This is the guy who knew suffering. He says this in verse 24, 2 Corinthians. He says, five times, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That means that five times he received 39 lashings just like Jesus did. Five times he was lashed and beaten on his back. Five times. Just three times was I beaten with rods and, and while I was stoned. Now, I don't know what, how, how big a rod is, but if it's like, you know, a rod's a big rod. You know I mean, I think after the first round, I would have been like, please stop. And then he said that he was stoned. 
three times. This isn't the kind of stone that many of us are used to, okay? This is like heavy rocks being hurled at your body. The purpose of being stoned and flogged publicly was to actually kill and break your bones, uh, you know, to end your life. He was stoned three times publicly. He says, three times I was shipwrecked at night and a day I was adrift at sea. How many of you guys have been adrift at sea and shipwrecked? I haven't, but I bet you it sucks, okay? And here's a guy who was going through all these things. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten and stoned. He was flogged. He was hit 39 times with lashes. And listen, it gets even worse, okay? He was shipwrecked at sea. He was also bitten by a snake at one time and almost died. He was put in jail. Verse 26 goes on to say, On frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in danger from the wilderness, in danger at sea, danger from the false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in a cold exposure. Now, number 28, verse 28 makes me laugh, because he says all of that, and then he says this in verse 28. He says, and, on top of all that crap, and, apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all of these churches. He says, on top of the beating, on top of getting stoned, on top of being shipwrecked and then lost at sea for, you know, a day. They don't have Coast Guard back then, by the way, so he had to, like, drift to shore. You know, on top of all of that, I have to deal with this crazy bunch of messed up churches that are just jacked up. Paul planted churches, and he had the responsibility of, of going over and monitoring all these churches. And he just said, on top of all of that, the daily pressure of dealing with church people is just overwhelming. So little love for the pastor on that one right there, guys. I mean, this guy went through so much trouble and hard times. He goes, but at the end of his life, at the end of Paul's life, he said this in Philippians. You don't have to turn and just listen. Philippians 121 says, Well, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart with Christ, for that is far better. He's saying, yeah, you know, I can live on this earth. I can make lots of money. I'm an awesome tent builder. I'm an awesome church planner. I can enjoy business life. I can enjoy family. I can enjoy kids. I can enjoy all the spoils and pleasure of the world, but I am hard-pressed. That means I am struggling with this decision that is hard for me to decide because the joy of going to heaven, the joy of dying and being with Jesus forever is far greater than all of these great things that I have here in this life. You don't hear him begging God for just one more, one more year, God. God, I know that you're ready to come back for, and you're ready to take me to, up to heaven. But God, I just want one more year to see if my tent business goes better. I want one more year to see my grandbabies grow up. I want one more year to see if I even get a wife. I, I got this girl I'm dating. I really love her. I want to be with her forever. I got one more year, God, just one more year. He doesn't say that. You don't hear him begging God for a happy life, a perfect marriage, a house full of kids, and action. You know, you know he, doesn't, he doesn't beg for those things. No, he's a man who has lived long enough to know that this world does not compare to the greatness of heaven. 
one of the main reasons our generation does not long for heaven is because we have no idea what it's like to suffer for the gospel like Paul did. Right now we're in a, a room with no AC, and it sucks. But around the world right now, people are meeting in homes in the dead of night under the secret of darkness, and they are worshiping Jesus with Bibles that have been passed down and hidden through generations and generations. And if they get caught, they will be executed. Right now, there are terrorists and Islamic extremists who will behead you for believing in Jesus. And we're sitting here, we're suffering through no air conditioning as if it's some great thing. We don't really suffer here in America. We complain about red coffee cups as if it's some great persecution. For God's sakes, there are people dying across the world. And we're complaining about red coffee cups. Listen, if that is you here today, I, and you feel like you haven't suffered enough, let me give you some, some encouragement. It's coming. It's coming. There are three kinds of people in the world. Those who are suffering, those who are coming out of suffering, and those who are going to be going into suffering. This crap about us having a life that is full of love and blessings and everything's going to be great, health, wealth, success. You're going to be, you're a child of the king. It is never a promise from God. In this life, you will have suffering, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. There's another reason why you might feel not ready for Jesus' return. And it's this. You don't really believe that Jesus is better than everything in this world. You don't believe it. You say you do, but you don't. And that's a really big problem. If we really believe that Jesus was better than all our stuff here in this world, we would not even want our things. We would desire to have Jesus more. We would want that. Let's be clear. There was nothing wrong with desiring things. I desire to have a great marriage. I desire to have all these great things, kids, money, retirement. It's okay to desire all of those things. It's great stuff, and God has given it to us, and we should be appreciative of all the things he has given us. The question we have to ask ourselves is if, do we long for this stuff more than what we long for Jesus? Do we long for the marriage, the perfect marriage, more than we long for Jesus? Do we long for the perfect job, the perfect career more than we long for Jesus? Do we long for material possessions more than we long for Jesus? Listen, do you long for yourself to be successful more than you long for Jesus? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. And if the answer is yes, there are things and people that you want more than Jesus, then the danger is that that one day, that one, that, that, that one day, that thing, that person that is sitting on the throne of Jesus in your life is going to one day become your God. And you're going to worship that person more than you worship Jesus. Now, if you're a child of God, here's the truth. And it's a promise given to us in Scripture. Is that Jesus will do absolutely whatever it takes to knock that false God off your throne if you are a believer in Christ. He will do whatever it takes to get that false God off your throne. Verse 6 in Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring, you, will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. It is a promise 
that he is, if he has started a good work in your heart, that he is going to do whatever it takes to complete it in any point in time. Until you see him face to face, he's going to do whatever it takes. And listen, that should scare us. And that should shake us to the core. Because if we're a child of God, if we believe in Jesus Christ and call him Father and Savior, if we are placing stuff before him in our life, he'll do whatever it takes to knock that pride off of our shoulder. He will allow you to go through intense amounts of suffering so that you will see his glory at the end and return back to him. He will allow you to go through cancer. He will allow you to go through the death of loved ones. He will allow you to go through betrayal of people who love you. He will allow the persecution against you. He will allow you to get beaten at times if you need to be. He will allow you to go through all these things so that you can bring him back to being number one in your life. He will make you go through the desert of hardship so that you can understand how much more important Jesus is than your pride, more important than he is over your whole life. If that is you here today, let me leave you with this truth here. You don't have to go through that suffering. You don't have to go through all of that. If you're struggling with believing that Jesus is really better than the stuff of this world, here's a story that maybe can maybe help you. It's a prayer that we can pray. Verse 22 in Mark 9 says this. It says, and it has often cast him into the fire. Jesus is talking to a guy who's, whose son is possessed by a spirit. And the guy is like, oh my gosh, Jesus, th- my kid is just crazy. I mean, he's possessed by a spirit. And he starts explaining to Jesus all the crazy things that this kid has been doing, this possessed child of his. And he says that it's often cast him into the fire and into the water. He says that this demon that's in this child has thrown him into the fire, tried to burn him alive. And then after that, the, the, the kid actually went and jumped into a lake and tried to drown himself. I had to save my kid out of the lake before the, the, the demon could take him. He says, but if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. Like, this kid is messed up and I need help, Jesus. And if you can just do anything, please have compassion on me and help me. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, if you can, like, like, like you need to have the faith that this is going to work. Jesus says, if you can, he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. The father believed that Jesus was powerful. He knew that. He had seen that. But there was a part of him who needed Jesus to step in and help him with his disbelief. So you might be thinking, I am such a horrible person right now. I got, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you, Pastor, and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I have set my family above you. I have set my possessions and my things above you. I've set my career above you. And I don't even think about you, but, but listen, it's, it's okay. Because Jesus has a way for that to be fixed. He says that we are to ask him to help us with our unbelief. That, that is a prayer 
You can just beg God and say, God, I believe you. I love you. I trust in you. But God, please help the little bit of me that has unbelief at this moment. If you're a skeptic today, maybe you just don't believe in this part of the Bible. You just kind of write this part off. Ask him to help you believe that today. If you're apathetic, ask him to help you believe that, that he could come back in any moment. Ask him to help you believe that. And if you have things in your life that you love more than you love Jesus, if there's people in your life that you love more than you love Jesus, ask him to help you believe that he is better. Ask him to do a miracle in your life today. Ask him to make us into the church that lives in the reality that Jesus is coming back and that we will always be ready. Amen? Let's pray and let's worship. Let's all stand. God, thank you for today and thank you for this church. God, I pray and give praise and thanks that you have made a way for us. God, that one day you will return. Lord, that you would bring your church back to you. That you would reset the, the church of Christ back to you and you would uh, just bring it back. And we thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, today I pray for those of us who may have lost our way. That maybe we get confused and we start putting things above you, Lord. And I pray that we would just kind of reset our minds, whatever it is, whatever idols that we have in our lives, even if it's addiction, Lord, even if it's, if it's things that, that, that come to us and that beg and pull us away from you more, may you just help us believe and know that you are better. Lord, that Jesus is better than all these things. And Lord, may you help our unbelief, make our hearts believe that you are better here today. Lord, I love you. I praise you. To Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's worship.